Welcome to the Take 92 Podcast. My name is Sammy Warmhands. I am your host. And today we welcome back to the show my old friends Broadway Calls. They were guests of the show last summer, almost exactly this time, and gave us the first hint that there would be a new record coming in 2020. So now that record is out. It's called Sad in the City. We got together right before the album dropped, and we're going to talk all about it. This is Broadway Calls. What you drinking? Well, it's just water, but I put a like a vitamin tablet in there. Oh, okay. I drink one of those every day, just trying not to get sick. <laughs> but uh, I'm doing the work from home thing now too, so I probably don't need to worry about that as much anymore. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I start tomorrow. You were doing Guitar Center, like oh. That- that was ages ago. I had been in a shipping store for the last eight years. Actually, speaking oh. of time, check this out. I was just hunting for an extension cable, like frantically, right before you called. And um, I found <laughs> this. That's awesome. On my cable box, Broadway Calls 2005. Yeah. Damn. That's an old sticker. That's Vintage. One of the stickers. I think that's the first round of stickers. Yeah, I think that was when that dagger wrapped her. Mm-hmm. I listened to the. The single, Meet Me on the Moon. I was like, damn, this actually kind of reminds me of the first record a little bit. And uh, so yesterday I, I put it on in the background just while I was working. I was like, man, I forgot how good this early shit really was. Like, you know, Comfort Distraction has been my go-to for the longest time. And I don't know, I'm sure you like that too sometimes where a band you've listened to for a long time and then like you're really into their new shit and then you kind of forget to dig back. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, it, it is funny listening to old, like, we listened to our uh, first, like, demo EP thing, we're like, man, there's, like, some good stuff, like, we, we just disregard it, because it's old. Yeah, you know? totally. But good stuff, yeah. It was something Medic, what was the first EP? Call the Medic. Call the Medic, yeah. Yeah. We originally had, like, an eight-song EP that we eventually dumbed down to a six-song, right? Yeah. That was really just a demo. Yeah, it wasn't. I mean, we put it out online for free, and then that's like a state of mind. Release it as an actual release. Yeah. It was already done, so we're just like, sure. Yeah, man, I still remember when, um, you know, obviously we were friends in This Day's End and Countdown to Life, and by the time I was in DFS and you were doing this stuff, I remember being at Agate Hall, and you're like, oh, here, I got this CDR, check out... It's like a rough mix of our, our new album. I was like, oh, that's that's pretty cool. And I remember putting it on. It was the full length, the self-titled. And I was like, god damn, these guys are fucking crushing it, man. Do you remember that show? Was that like Alkaline Trio? Or... No. I remember that event. And I don't know if we were playing or we just came to watch a show. or. No, or... I, th- I think it was, I think you guys were playing with us at Agate Hall down on campus. I, I can't remember anything about it. We played so many shows there, I lose track of it all, you know? There was another show at, like, Wow Hall or something that I remember seeing you guys at. And I don't know if we... Is that super loud? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's, like, an excavator back next property behind. Anyway, oh. <laughs> I remember when we put out that EP, we were really trying to differentiate those from Countdown. Yeah. I remember when we put that out on MySpace... It was really just so we could let people know we're still doing stuff, even if Countdown wasn't 
that was a side project. That was definitely a side project in my mind at that time. Yeah, you know, for for a month. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that was the crazy thing. It was like, oh, these guys are doing pop punk now, like for fun. You know, that's that's cool. Like, oh wow, they're pretty good at it. You know, and then like when the full length happened, and then you guys start doing all these tours and shit. I'm like, god damn, this is for real. Like. It's almost like when I started rapping and like that became the thing that people liked. And I'm like, wait, really? Like I didn't, yeah. I didn't see this coming. Yeah. It's fucking yeah, crazy. So I didn't expect it to be like the band that, that we were going to keep doing with. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Do you remember that? Like, not necessarily a moment, but do you remember in those early days, some indication going like, holy shit, I think this is the future. Like this is where we're headed. Yeah, I mean, for me, I was kind of organizing the, the start of it, and when we first put the EP, you know, just for download, we got, like, you know, at the time, like, 600 downloads, like, full download. And I was like, oh, yeah, like, this is cool, and, you know, a week or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know, it wasn't that long, and um, even during that time, like, one of the guys from Eulogy wrote us and, you know, sent us a contract. This is before our first show. Wow. So I was like, all right, I think we're on to something. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, before our first show, Eulogy sent us some shitty-ass contract, and, <laughs> and it was very flattering. You know, we told him no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do some shows and see what happens. Yeah, I think for me, it was probably like the first U.S. tour, or no, the first tour we did with Dagamouth, the West Coast tour. Yeah. West California shows, and like, hardcore crowds were responding to our band really positively even though we were the only melodic band on the bill out of like 10 hardcore bands or whatever we were playing you know that that was when i was like oh shit this is gonna this is gonna be cool if we can like keep playing these shows because people are i didn't really think about that but definitely you guys had built so much of a road reputation with countdown that you continued building off that even when you switched styles. So you, you would have been the lone wolf like all the time at first. Oh, yeah, for the first year or two. <laughs> yeah. We were with that, and then eventually once, you know, we started working with Adeline, that's when they're, like, steering us in <laughs> the appropriate avenues, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like, we were only playing shows with hardcore bands because that was our, our friends. Set it straight, took us out. Daggermouth took us out. Ruiner. That was the world we were in before we hooked up with Adeline. How did that even come to be with Adeline? That was basically one of their turns got caught wind of us and came to some house shows that we did. From the intern, went to the assistant of the Green Day manager dude. They just went up the chain like that, and they all came out to one of our L.A. shows and watched, and that was kind of it. Yeah, it was one of those weird stories where, like, the internal table brings the demo into the office. So you guys were LL Cool J, and uh, I don't know if you ever heard that story, but when uh, Def Jam was, like, brand new and the Beastie Boys were unknown, Ad-Rock was, like, hanging out in Rick Rubin's dorm all the time, so he'd be the one digging through the demos, like, I want to hear that new shit. And uh, he listened to, like, a 15-year-old, maybe 14-year-old LL Cool J and gave it to Rick Rubin. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. 
So that guy was your ad rock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Eddie. Eddie and Adeline. Yeah. Still in touch with that guy. He's, he's still a good friend. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was crazy. We're on some U.S. tour at the time when we got an email from the guy's name's Pat McNamara. And if you look up his it's involved in lots of shit. And we didn't know because we don't, we didn't know about, you know, that business side of things. Yeah. At the time, we had Chris from 33 playing guitar with us. Yeah. After my brother left. And and he's like, holy shit, like, Pat McNamara, like, this is, like, the real deal. This is, like, the Green Day guy, the, the Weezer guy. Like, we're like, okay. We, you know, <laughs> I'll take your yeah. word for it. <laughs> yeah. Could be fake. Yeah. And we didn't know. Like, they wanted to see us, and we booked a show because they wanted to see us. And we're, we're on the East Coast, like, all right, we need a show. We need to drive to LA, you know, after the tour. And I don't know, it's just a weird, it's a weird time of our, in our, you know, life. But it was yeah. cool. I remember we had really bad food poisoning the day we met. Everybody. Oh. And like, it was just a nightmare. Dude. Like I had, we stayed the night at Tyler's. Tyler was our day-to-day guy at Adeline and get the night at his house. <laughs> it was like the first time meeting him. And <laughs> oh, man. So you guys finished an East Coast tour and then drove all the way to L.A. with no shows? How did that happen? So that tour would have been set straight tour? No, because okay. Chris didn't go on that tour. No, you're right. So that was after that. That was the Ruiner tour. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, pretty sure we yeah. finished up the tour. Early 2007. Yeah, went down to L.A., played the show, and mm-hmm. came home after that. Man. We're used to that shit. Like, yeah. Oh, in L.A., let's leave at, I don't know, three in the morning, yeah. make it for loaded or whatever, you know? Yeah. yeah. Young and dumb. Dude, the the last few days I've been editing, um, I, I, I got a week off between my old job and my new job, and so I finally had time to sit down and edit the second book I wrote that was all about tour, and so it's like all the just horrible drives and shit like that where... You play a show, and then there's nowhere to stay, and so you drive overnight to the next city, and then, like, that show is canceled or some <laughs> shit, and it was the last show, and so then you just drive all the way home 13 hours or something. It was just like, man, I can't believe we did all that shit. Yeah. We did so many zigzag things like that. Cool show here, but we got to go back 10 hours that way just to get to the next one. and Yeah. Gotta do what you gotta do. Do you yeah, remember so. going from like when you went from being DIY for so long and booking all your own shit just with friends you made to like, oh, now we get to be added to these other guys' tours. We don't have to worry about that shit. Like I saw you guys open for Bouncing Souls. You opened for a ton of great bands. I mean, what was that kind of middle era like when kind of took it up a level? It was rad. I mean it's funny when we were doing all the hardcore I was like why aren't we playing with Teenage Baller Rocket and Alkaline Trio and Lawrence on bands that we listen to and sound like yeah. you know black like we were just it was that weird second era of Fat Records was really big at that time you know yeah it's like why aren't we playing shows with these bands and a couple of years later it started to happen and it was uh, cool it was really fucking cool but we also learned a lot about how tour managers suck sometimes <laughs> like the whole business side of things really uh, sucks yeah. if you have to like once you're in that league of 
the support band, it's it can get really uh, business really mm-hmm. quick, you know. Yeah, that next level became real business. <laughs> like it was like, all right, let's can we go back? Can we, yeah, can we, <laughs> yeah, go back and have fun. And yeah, there was lots of pros and cons. It was cool, but then like once we were doing those shows, like oh, this other floor shows are way way cooler. But I remember we did. Our first tour in England was with All Time Low and Cobra Starship, which we don't sound anything like. <laughs> that was one of the first tours that was set up by the team. We had nothing to do with it. We'd never been over. We were just excited to go. We just really wanted to go. And we got that opportunity, and so we took it. But on that tour, it was like, damn, this is what it's like to not tour with friends. You yeah. Know? Like, just to be, this seems like a job to these people. Some of the folks on that tour were really nice to us and cool, but it was definitely uh, an eye-opener, you know. And that was the beginning of that. So that was the beginning of 2008. And, like, that summer we did Warp Tour. So it was just, like, that 2008 was, like, damn, the music industry is, is rough sometimes. You know? yeah. yeah. Even in punk rock, where you wouldn't think, like, until you are at Green Day level or something, you know, that it's probably still a lot of more, you know, you hear about, like, Oh, fat rec bands. We didn't sign a contract. It's just a handshake, you know? And so you think a lot of that stuff is still going to be pretty DIY, but wasn't your, wasn't your experience? <laughs> no, no. Like, we would tr- be like, hey, we'll play on the f- at certain shows, and that didn't go over well with a lot of people, you know? Yeah. Nobody, want, nobody wants the opening band to stand out in any way. Yeah. There's a lot of rules that we learned. Well, here. I remember that just with Countdown that no matter where we played, people would be minding their own business and about halfway through you setting up would realize, oh, they just put all their shit in front of the stage on the ground. So you like, you guys are on the dance floor and the sound guy's like, oh, fuck, I got to set up all the shit down here, you know? <laughs> but like every time we played together, you guys were on flat ground. And so I imagine that'd be so weird then going up on like festival stages with a barricade and all this shit where, I mean, you're used to getting knocked in the lips with the microphone all the time, and now you got 20 feet or something. Yeah, we got security guards. <laughs> we're, still, we're still not used to that shit. And, you know, even some of the shows that we play, like, there might be a drum riser, and I'll be like, can I just, like, play with these dudes, like, right here? Like, yeah. I don't need that. Like, I'll just go in between them, in front yeah, of the riser. Yeah. Like, set up in a line, you know? yeah. If you want to, we got this. All these lights. I don't yeah. know. It's just funny. <laughs> it's silly. Well, you guys had like a fog machine in your new video. You're selling out. Oh, oh, we did. We didn't. I have a fog machine that I bought for a different video, and I couldn't find. We found the fog juice. Yeah. But we fog machine, and um, we still wanted fog, so we lit some incense, and I just put it like <laughs> right <in> the camera. <laughs> Tricky. So, yeah. Special effects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you guys had a huge budget on that one, I could tell. Uh, crazy. We just blew it on fog machine. <laughs> yeah, and all that CGI with the stars. Yeah. It, we got, you know. It's like watching Interstellar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that part when they're crossing through dimensions, man, it, it reminded me of that. Uh-huh. <laughs> Stuff. Yeah. So what was it like working with Christopher Nolan? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a dick. Oh. 
That's disappointing. You never work with your heroes, you know? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I guess we'll have another video by the time this comes out. I'm recording these a little bit ahead of the schedule, so this will come out in a month from now. Wait, so our record will be out? Yeah. Sad in the city. We were just talking about it. It doesn't really feel like it. <laughs> yeah. No, why not? Did you guys have a tour that you had to cancel because of pandemic? Yeah, we, did. we were supposed to go to Europe with the Flatliner in April, mm. which would have been such a cool tour. We've never traveled with them over there, but we've toured with them in North America. Yeah. It would have been so sweet. We haven't been to Europe since 2013. Literally every tour we go over with, like, go in Europe, the Germans or whoever, they'll be like, you guys should come over with the band, like the Flatline. With a good band. <laughs> yeah. yeah, every every time, like, yeah. we get these people telling us we should tour with better bands. We're like, we're here. No. <laughs> yeah, we're here. <laughs> what else do you want? Well, at least we're your favorite on the bill. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, we finally got that tour, and we'll do it next year. Yeah. yeah. I think everything that happens next year will just be a redo of what was going to happen this year, you know? Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, we have two really good things lined up. Yeah. So, uh, we'll just have to we'll see. do it again. That's got to be hard. I always think of you guys very much as a road band, and you've been gearing up towards this moment for a while, so it's like, oh, fuck, man, like, okay. Yeah. We're going to sit back and count the Spotify plays, guys. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I mean, if people are listening, that's cool. That works. Yeah, for real. They'll know the words by the time we can play a show. There so. you go. Yeah. I was glad that uh, you guys did all formats so I could still get a CD. <laughs> yeah. Now, Toby seems to know what he's doing when it comes to that. He still has a, a good audience that likes all formats. So yeah. thankful for that. It's funny, I just had uh, Mike from Death by Stereo on promoting their new album, and I went to pre-order it from Indecision. And if you scroll, scroll through Indecision's merch page, I'm pretty sure it was the only CD on there. Like, every other band is just vinyl. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, but they were an Epitaph band, so they got those 90s fans. I'm like, yes, they do. Thank you. Yeah, still got some CD players. I, I listen to CDs. Listen to, I Six this changer in my track. I, I I love CDs. Yeah, that's that's still my thing, man. Like I, I'll I'll be 35 this year. I'm just like smack dab in that demographic, you know. <laughs> yeah. Shit. So we kind of hinted at it last year when uh, we reconnected and had you guys on like a short chat, but um, you guys went back to your 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 first producer. Is his name Willie? Is that right? No. Well. So Willie is our first guy. Oh, okay. Scott Goodrich, he took over New Tone. Okay, okay. We'd known Scott for I don't know since he was like seventeen or something like that, and played in bands together growing up. He was in Hear the Sirens. Did you ever play with Hear the Sirens or see them? I couldn't say. Bay Area, like Strike Anywhere type. Oh hardcore. man, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, I've known him since he, since we were kids, basically. He was a kid, and we would play with them, and uh, we just wanted to go back to Newtown because it's very comfortable. Yeah. And Scott being there, like a friend running the show, we just wanted to be comfortable. Yeah. And like the best spot we could think of to go. Did you feel like you had more 
Freedom more time to work with because it was not quite as high stakes with the budget. We definitely had less time, mm. but we had more freedom because Bill always had vision of what things should sound like. Yeah, and I'll, we're not going to argue with Bill. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but this time it's like, all right, we won't have to answer to anyone. We make the calls along with Scott. Yeah, we definitely had more freedom. We had like. This is the least amount of time we've recorded any record. Like, even the first record was two weeks. Yeah. Yeah, first record, two weeks. Second record, three weeks. Third record, two weeks. Yeah. This record, one week. Nice. So, yeah, 12 to 15-hour days, depending on what we had going after recording. Is that mix included, or is that just tracking time? No, well, mix is tracking. totally separate. Okay. This is all tracking a solid week, week and a day. Yeah, eight days, I think. Eight days. Yeah. Did you? Yeah, all, no day, no day was shorter than twelve hours. You know. Did you continue that blasting model where you are not just tracking all drums at once, all bass at once, but you're like floating around? We started the record like under one idea. We're gonna track song by song. Yeah. You know, drums, then bass, then guitar. So we did that for two days or yeah, a day and a half yeah maybe just like a, a day and a half we're like fuck like <laughs> no we gotta reconfigure our idea so then we started doing like four drums getting the bass done and then eventually like day four we just like we gotta finish the drums so we finished yeah. or whatever day it was yeah we kind of went back to that traditional like do all the drums then do the bass then do the guitar i mean when you're on a time crunch there's no better way you know just use the momentum Mm -hmm. and it it was cool doing a few songs because we really wanted to record like that to make each song sound have their own sound i guess so are you tearing down gear and resetting it up for each song to some extent you know with my drums very minimal i ended up not putting up a this is the first record where i don't have a rack rack tom you never used it live. No, but recording, like, with Bill, like, they just had a kit set up, mm. and I was like, right on, so I just played it. You know, I'm not going to, like, tell them to take shit down. I'd, if it was there, I would use it. But this one, I used my traditional setup. I didn't use a crash, did I? I think I, I used my normal setup. <laughs> yeah, I think you used a normal setup, because, yeah. like, not very many microphones on that kit. Yeah, we used... Uh, Coals for the overheads. Mm-hmm. We're trying to do the what's the uh, Led Zeppelin John? Andy Johns. The Johns, yeah, we we're doing that. Yeah, that setup. Yeah. And Scott's a real like technical like nerd. You know, he gets. Yeah, it was it was cool. We switched snares out. We talked about moving mic setups around, but we just had it set up and it sounded so good. Like yeah, but, yeah. Like we would just have a pile of pedals on the floor, and yeah. I'd be standing there the guitar we would just decide on what amp we were going to use for what take and then scott would be on the ground with a pile of pedals plugging stuff in and out seeing what sounds cool i don't know i I would never be able to replicate this record again really yeah we didn't document anything we were using (laughs) when you listen to the record every part's totally different really like crazy that was the goal yeah just to keep the sounds moving so are you still basing that on your old like Sovtech Mesa rig or are you just using anything he's got in the room? 
I brought the Sobtech. We recorded with the Sobtech a lot on this record. I don't have a Mesa anymore. Mm. I got rid of that. I've just been using Sobtech lately, but then while we were recording this record, I really fell in love with the Vox AC30. Ah. And so there's a lot of that record, and I found one used after we recorded. So I'm going to, from here on, release for this record is Sobtech Vox. Nice. I, I got to shout out Crosby. He actually just started demoing some pop punk stuff for the first time in forever. And he sent me a little video with his new little Sobtech head that he's got. And I was like, dude, that sounds just, that's, he's like, it's the Tyvon special, man. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty rad. I haven't changed the tubes in it in at least 15, 16 years. Really? Toured with it consistently this whole time. That's crazy. It's kicking ass. It needs a lot of work. It sounds good. It's still working. That's crazy, dude. Like, I... When we made a record last summer, our demos had sounded really good. And then, like, the week that we were about to start, I was tracking and I hadn't moved anything, and my high end was just not there. I was like, oh, fuck, it's the tubes. And so, change them to what I used last time. Oh, this doesn't sound right at all. Then I can change it again. Oh, change it again. So, like, I, I envy you for having a, a set that lasted that fucking long because, man, it's, it's sometimes it's a headache when you're tracking and you're trying to find the right tube for the damn record yeah i wouldn't even know like i don't even know how to work on that yet. <laughs> yeah <laughs> lucky uh, if it went out i'd be fucked what about adam he's not here today do you remember what his rig was down there so he plays that reverend bass i don't know if you've seen that one that one can get a lot of different sounds but he switched from a reverend to a what was he playing? I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't know. We were lucky with him because we could go back to Scott and Ashley's house after the day in the studio, and he could back in Scott's like spare bedroom, and mm. it was that was really nice, you know, just not have to have be full volume. So yeah. he was just playing into a Sans amp or something. Yeah, I don't know if it was a Sans amp, but he has his own home studio going. Scott does too, so like. But yeah, that's why we're doing 15 hour days. So you leave the fucking studio, come back to the apartment or whatever, and just be laying down DI tracks? Yeah. Oh so my you, God. He left, Adam was, or Scott was running, doing reamping on, on Adam's shit. So we don't know what it eventually went through, but even with Adam's bass, you know, the, the tones are different throughout each song. Really? Uh, yeah. And uh, he, didn't, he didn't use a pick at all. Really? Yeah. Yeah, he's been practicing the last few going finger and and then we started tracking and Scott's like, All right, what he's like, oh, I'm not gonna use one. He's like, uh, you sure about that? Yeah. <laughs> <We'll see>. <laughs> <laughs> like Scott's let's like, let's wait for the playback on that. Yeah. And but uh, yeah, Scott was like, You're the first one I've I've let you know, use your finger. Like everyone else, we've eventually went with the pick. Well, yeah, because when you're doing this kind of music, you know, those rhythms just can be so inconsistent in volume when you're playing that way. So, like, you really have to have a, a kind of discipline when you're doing it. I mean, most guys aren't Rob Trujillo that can just dig in with their index finger like a pick, you know. Like, it's it's usually so, like, wobbly sounding, you got to compress the fuck out of it. Yeah, no, Adam, Adam's been working at it for a while, and he's had a steady diet of Starburst jelly beans and vodka. <laughs> <laughs> it really showed, he killed it. When you guys are 
cramming this full length into a week. How many songs? Uh, 11. Yeah. 11. Okay. So you're doing a full LP in a week's time. Is this then just totally ironed out ahead of time that you've rehearsed all these songs in and out, not really making changes as much in the studio? We only made like one structure change. We had a bridge that we had to work out. And then we had a chorus to work out on another song. And there's a past, like, two songs that we kind of squeaked in. Mm -hmm. We hit the details really hard in practice. Like, all right, like, we got to have this figured out. Like, any little detail we need to have. And then the rest was just experimenting with guitar stuff. But we had mud mapped out. Yeah, a big difference between this record and the last working with Bill... Bill was the producer, and he yep. was, like, paid to produce those records, you know what I mean? So, like, we would send him demos, and we would show up to the studio, and the first few days with him, we would be pre-producing the song. So we would just, like, you know, if it wasn't stoked on a part, we would tear that song apart and put it back together. Yeah. You know? This time, we were producing the record, so we had to get everything before we went, you know, or else we would have just been wasting time did you do any kind of demos at home so you could listen back to it and and make those changes no i mean we did demo at home but that was to get red scare on board okay we didn't demo to rework songs we just did it like we spent a lot of time songs like anytime like ty or adam thought they were done i was like no like there's (laughs) there's a lot we gotta focus on fuck you ty it's not there yet yeah, no, we 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 work the songs like really hard, um, and that's that's pretty. That was pretty uncommon, I think. I mean, because we just like get to where it felt good. We made it through. There wasn't any really hiccups, you know, records, and then we'd give it to Bill. Yeah, but this time we just like I don't know, we had to come up with the details. Yeah, we had to keep the songs super interesting instead of just. Being like, all right, got the verses, chorus, you know, like, that's usually where I feel satisfied. Yeah. I got the chorus, we're all all good, you know. Is Josh the arrangement dude then, or what? Well, we were doing two practices a week. Usually the way it goes is, like, I'll bring a verse and a chorus to practice. Yeah. That's it. You know, and then we make the songs out of it. And sometimes that happens in one day, and sometimes it happens, like, several months later. Yeah. Yeah the song and how trouble we're having is this over the course of years that you guys are writing this i mean what was the time frame three years i think yeah i think three years i think when i went back to look on my phone like the first little like voice memo yeah like late 2016 okay Yeah. yeah i was getting into like song structures just basic i had goals like all right we're gonna do a a B A B structure or A A B A structure or they're like I really want to be like okay we got to have this type of song and and then we got to write one of these kind of songs and so he'd bring a song or he'd bring a verse and chorus and I'd be like well I want this structure so we need to do this to make it fit with this structure that I want yeah like there's batches of songs and you can tell when you listen to the record like these songs were written together and then these three to four were written together and then once you listen, you'll be able to dissect the songs and figure out like 
what we were trying to do. You know, there's yeah. I feel like this song was or this record was written in three different sections. We had a batch of three songs. We demoed them. Next three songs, demoed them, and then when we were starting to like really wrap things up to get ready for the studio, I don't know. We wrote a couple right at the very end there that came together really easily, and then there was a couple that we had been struggling with for at least a year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a glow. We recorded on the first batch of demos, but that was the last one really get worked out like yeah. that. That probably got worked out within the month before we went. Yeah. Um, no, within the freaking couple weeks. Yeah. Because that's when the, the drum beat, the bass, mm-hmm. and yeah. Yeah. It was cool. It was fun. We experimented, and you could tell on the record. The hard thing about that is like the sequencing, because then you wind up going, oh, these flow really well together. Well, because they were all written at the same time. So then do I break it up, you know, or do I, you know, like the sequencing is kind of, I don't know, my favorite slash least favorite part, because it's when it's starting to come to life. You're like, oh, shit, this is an album now. Mm -hmm. But then you got to sit there and make those choices. Yeah. Toby that runs Red Scare has a really good ear. You know, I don't don't know if he's writes music he obviously listens at that point we're all like frustrated with each other because we had (laughs) our own someone their idea of how it should go and and eventually it was like toby was like this is how it should be Mm -hmm. we're like yeah yeah it should it took a while to get to that point but like toby pretty much did the sequence you know the, the whole track list and and we did the actual sequencing you know put it in pro tools and yeah songs out but yeah if it wasn't for him we were arranging it way different than than what he suggested when i had a tsunami bomb on the show they were talking about jello put out their record for alternative tentacles and mm-hmm. he said that when it came time to sequence it jello made every member separately write their own version of the set list. And so they all came back, and he's like, who wrote this one? And it was like, uh, Kate. He's like, it's perfect. Use this. <laughs> I was just like, okay, sure. Uh, <laughs> and that was the whole conversation. I was like, all right, cool. Yeah. Yeah, Toby did a totally different. Like, well, there's one song that, like, Ty, I don't even know if he liked it. Yeah, I mean, we did, but at the same time, he yeah. didn't want it. He didn't want to showcase it in the beginning. He wanted yeah. to put it in the back. But Toby was like, "Nope, that needs to be up front." The first three or four songs. That yeah. You need to- now everyone's so- going to want to know what's the song that he doesn't like that much. <laughs> well, okay, so there's. It wasn't that I don't like it. I like all the songs. I was just. I think it was me being touchy about my lyrics. You know. Yeah. The record in order of I was more proud of and not you know what I mean yeah so, like to me maybe one song is a little bit simple silly pop song yeah, yeah in my mind but it's just it's just more simple it's just a pop song you know which is what we set out to write <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I love this record do you want to talk at all about the lyrics on the album yeah I mean have you heard the record no, I wish that I had like friends on the inside who would send me a copy. <laughs> well, I I pre-ordered it. 
No, we we honestly haven't really sent it out to anyone. Toby, <laughs> yeah. Toby was like, he's like, I hate it when bands send it out to all their band friends, and yeah. then they get to be like, I heard the record, and yeah. it's awesome. And he, he's just like, I hate it when people do that. Yeah. And we just like, okay. You're like, what? No, we don't do that. We don't. Nope. Yeah. No No one's really asked. <laughs> so yeah, really. I mean, for me, there's been like maybe two people that have asked, and I haven't really sent it, but. Well, I'm not asking for it at all. (laughs) Don't even worry about that. (laughs) But yeah, lyrics. Lyrics on this record are pretty dark. I think most of our records are when I go back and listen to them. You know, there's always been a consistent, like the song "Off." That's an anti-war song. There's a lot of socially conscious first record. Yeah, Um, and that's never stops. But I think this. This record in particular is just a little more focused than our other ones. Yeah. Um, it's a little more... The lyrics are simpler in a good way. And that that came about because we were writing the songs together. You know what I mean? Like, I could bring an idea of practice, and I'd have this chorus, and then Josh would be like, what about just that line that you have? That's the chorus. You know what I mean? And like, mm. so we would simplify the songs before we even wrote them. And I think they are a lot more effective. So you guys are arranging bits and pieces before you've necessarily written out all the words. Yeah. Yeah. Or so, sometimes, sometimes he would have a chorus and I'd be like, that's a, that's a lot of nation. Like <laughs> yeah. I, the really nerdy Beatles, like pop, like, like, what's the main point? Mm-hmm. Of bad in the city? Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the chorus. Like, you don't need any other information other than, than that. Like, the rest of the information, put it in the verse, because that's where it should be, for you know, on this song. Yeah, so, I'm with you. Like, go, going through and, years of writing rap lyrics was honestly the best thing for me in terms of my other songwriting, whether it's punk or acoustic stuff, because it's like, it's so much about the lyric you can make, you know, these perfect sounding multi-syllable rhymes and know what words to cut out and make it like most effective and then put in like your little callbacks and stuff like this. And you know, your message is super clear. Even if the song is built around this awesome sounding riff and that's not even the point, you know, like it, it, it was so informative to me when it came to, you know, you write it, but then you revise it and you fine tune it. And, and, and God, it was such an asset when going through that process. Definitely. I, I think that as far as songwriting goes, I've always been way more focused on what the melody is. Mm. Melody is always more important than the lyrical content to me. Lyrics come way later. Melody is what pops into my head first. Yep. You know what I mean? But this record, yeah, we focused. We got together and we really focused beforehand and uh, shape the songs that way. Do you find that you still have a similar writing process, or has that changed over the years, too? Personally, as far as coming with an idea for a song, that's always pretty much been the same. Yeah. It's just like a melody, you'll pop into my head, then I grab the guitar, find the chords that match the melody. What do you think is your highlight of the record? What's What's your... I mean, obviously you have to pick a single, but if, if there's like a track that stood out to you right away of like, whoa, that turned out fucking great, what would that be? 
for me, I mean, to address the single, like that wasn't even one that I would have picked to, to, to come out. <laughs> Which is an awesome song, but like, it, we're, you know, we, we kind of left that up to Toby. Like, what do you want to do? Like, let's do that. It's a great love song. Yeah. But we have a song on there called There's a Glow that I, I think turned out awesome. And then we have one coming out tomorrow called Radiophobia. Both of those are standout, different sounding songs, I think. I, don't know. I, I like the title on that one. Yeah, that's that. He, he brought that to us like Radiophobia? The riff, like a long ass time oh, ago. Yeah. And we just didn't finish it. Both those songs are took the longest on the record. <laughs> and like Radiophobia, we started. 2018 and then just forgot about for <laughs> a long time up until a month before we went in the studio yeah, like october of last year and then there's a glow took that was a totally different sounding song i mean it was it was a guitar riff we arranged the whole song and then i had a verse my verse for the song every time i would play it josh would be like no that's the chorus yeah <laughs> and, but to me it was the it was just the first melody i came up with so to me it was the beginning of the verse you know? yeah but that's what i mean like we, i would bring this we would rearrange things that way and it was awesome but long fucking time yeah we we went to bridge city to do like yeah four. like we did the live thing mm -hmm. but we also went back and, and demoed shit and that was on there we have a, a version of how it used to be mm -hmm. and to me it just never sat right i was like i don't know like not it's not I don't know. It's a B-side sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. And then on Ty is like, dude, that's the chorus. Like, how are you going to beat that melody? Like, it has to be, it has to be the chorus. Over, you know, you're not going to do better than that. Yeah. Yeah, that song turned out definitely, I think it's one of our best songs ever. Like, that song took two years. <laughs> and then Meet Me on the Moon, We our first single we wrote in one day. You know, like, that done within a couple hours that's that blink 182 shit man where they had the the pants and jacket record and they were like yeah we need a couple more uh catchier ones and they're like all right fine and he's like so yeah i wrote rock show in five minutes um <laughs> i'm like dude that was the biggest song I'm like fuck <laughs> yeah like that was a homework assignment yeah right yeah what was your guys experience on bridge city i've i've talk to them about going down there and we just never we never made it happen and but their their stuff always sounds so good yeah no I, everything was awesome you know we kind of went in there we hadn't even played too much we just put writing and that was the first time like playing in front of in a while yeah a long I mean, time just a couple people but yeah it, we just kind of got there they had it set up like did a couple line checks and it was just super smooth. Oh, like, so you're using their in-house gear? Yeah, we use their in-house kit, I think. I, I mean, they have like, on my head, but they have cabs and all that stuff. Yeah, they have, like, orange back line. And, yeah. You wow. know, I mean, I, I would think they would rather you play their stuff because they know how to make it sound. So, yeah. Really comfortable, and they're awesome people. Mm. Yeah, it's a really good spot to record. We worked with them. So we did the Bridge City sessions. Yeah. We, we went and did, like, four four demo songs mm -hmm. with them mm -hmm. and then we went back and we did that Menzingers cover for a Red Scare oh so yeah yeah different times and I'm sure we'll go back multiple times mm -hmm. nice I mean it's nice to have something good like that that's just across town for you guys pretty much mm -hmm. yeah it's convenient 
yeah, well, comfortable. You know, that's really what it's what it's all about. Like, yeah, people are cool, you know, so. and they're they're efficient. You know, it's the worst when you're going into a studio and you know, like all the technical difficulties. It's yeah, like you were ready forty five minutes ago, but now you're bored. And you don't have the heart in it. Yeah, exactly. They're they're just on it. You know, those engineers like, okay, go. Go, go like that's that's how it was so and that's what we like you know just fast paced yeah. yeah sometimes it's fun just to cut it live too you know just bang it out all together in a room and do a second guitar overdub and a vocal and that's your shit yeah and that's pretty much what we did for our demos and the the Minsinger's cover um, yeah and it, yeah it's cool doing it like that so w- what do you guys plans now that everything's uh, locked down are you gonna keep writing or are you just gonna hold off until you get to book another tour yeah i, I plan on keep writing i mean I, i've been bugging them about getting together to had two practices maybe the one two we have one i think we've had one practice since the lockdown in march yeah we've been yeah. we've been kind of afraid to get together me and kellen we we just haven't like i i track some stuff here He's gonna try to track some stuff at home. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna just write when we can. We're we're also gonna do uh, some new countdown writing. Really? Practiced a couple weeks ago. No shit. Yeah, it was really fun. Yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah, have some fun and. Um, now that's the side project. That, that's the side project. <laughs> yeah. yeah, fun with that again. Yeah, yeah, it's about. <laughs> 10, 15 years later. Yeah. Well, that's great, uh, man. Like, we're going to keep making music videos, probably, like, because we can't tour, so we're just going to... Yeah. Videos. Yeah. We're, we're working on another right now that'll come out after the one tomorrow, so tomorrow's do, a third video. Just do the Metallica model where you got a video for every single song on the album, you know? Yeah. I, I'm sure that's what's gonna happen. Yeah, you know, know. we're not. Yeah, we're not going anywhere. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know when we're going anywhere. Yeah, who knows? I can't make any plans. The whole thing, you know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you you touched on the lyric thing, but yeah. once you hear the record, it is everything that's happening right now. It's so eerie how relevant this record is how you wrote the shit two years ago and you're like oh wow i didn't think it would mean this today yeah i mean the record start tell them the first line of the record like the like, first line is if my country collapses can i crash on your couch oh my god and i i wrote that with like a sense of humor to it yeah you know like such an exaggerated statement that like it you know can i do something as inconvenience you know, can I inconvenience you by crashing on your couch if the United States crumbles? You know, that's, yeah. it wasn't really uh, meant to be <laughs> literal. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really eerie to listen. Well, you'll, you'll hear it. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's pretty, it gives me goosebumps listening. Like, what the fuck? Everyone is going to feel this same thing. And they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have, like, if, you know. Yeah. It's just weird. It's, it's very strange. So They're just writing about stuff, you know, that, it, like, all the, the reason that is happening, the, re, the way I, some of these lyrics turned out is because 
I wasn't really writing from an American's point of view for this record. You know, yeah. I was thinking about, damn, apocalyptic shit is actually happening for people all over the world every in all Ukraine, Syria. There's civil wars. Yeah, Yemen, like that's reality. It's the the world has already ended for those people. But we're still living in this comfortable first world uh, scenario, but I don't know for how long. Yeah, know? and that was kind of what the record is talking about is like damn this is already reality for a lot of people uh so it could be reality for us very soon if, if we don't get our shit on track and a lot of it was more in reference to big picture things like the environment and capitalism you know so much has changed in the last few you know i wasn't envisioning a pandemic or anything like that when i wrote the record but it works <laughs> yeah yeah it's crazy man i remember I was producing for a friend of mine in 2016 and it was during the election campaign. He just added a song kind of as a joke. It was like a very sarcastic song kind of about the, the base that was supporting Trump. And it was kind of funny and we finished it and we're like, we should put that out now because that's not going to be relevant come November when all this is over and and you know maybe we'll put it as a hidden track on the cd or something you know but like we should probably just get this out of the way before everyone forgets that this even happened you know and so we did and then fucking november rolls around and we're like oh shit i guess okay that song's a keeper then it's going back into the sequence um like didn't see that coming at all really happening yes strange times that was like Toby, you know, we talked about not putting it out in July. Like, you know, let's wait to see if we can put it out closer to maybe we can play some shit, support the record. Yeah. Um, but Toby's like, like, no, everyone, like you guys already wrote what everyone's going to be right. Like, yeah, you can't wait. Like this is happening now and you have to, it has to come out. So, all right. Yeah. It's, we were all really un- putting a record out right now of course yeah who wouldn't be like it could just go out into the ether and not get any attention work so hard on it but i think it's not gonna up that way i think that if people give it a chance it'll be it's just the next broadway calls record if so if people like their band they're, they're gonna like this record yeah you know? we don't sound drastically different we just evolved a little bit all right that is our show thank you guys so much for listening Thank you to Josh and Ty from Broadway for taking the time to chat about the record. It's always fun to catch up with those guys. As always, you can help spread the word. Just take a little screenshot, post that to your stories, let people know that you were listening. If you got a sec, give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Next time is our 75th episode. We're going to be coming with Lou Collar from Sick of It All. I'm going to leave you with a track from Sad in the City. This is Radiophobia, Broadway Calls. (laughs) 